0: All right, we're going to dive there. John 14, 15, 16. Let me recap a little bit. Last week, we begun a series talking about the person of the Holy Spirit. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Bible, it's God's divine scripture. We believe what the Bible says about God, and it teaches us about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we dove in understanding the person of the Holy Spirit. And several of you said, it's really hard and complicated for me to see the person, the Holy Spirit as a person? And I think that's a great question. And I want to address that before we dive into the message dealing with the work that the Holy Spirit does. I want to remind you again that personhood is not defined by a physical body. You are a person regardless of your physical body because you are soul and spirit take for example someone who may be battling with a disease. I remember when my good sister was bat- my sister was battling with cancer and she was getting ready to to meet the Lord Jesus and we knew that un- unless a miracle happened and she was completely healed, we knew that there was no turning back from this. She was still a person even though her body was not working appropriately. When my mother-in-law was battling with uh, the illnesses that she was uh, battling with, uh, with dementia uh, in the late stages, and we saw her body decay. She was still that wonderful person that we loved. She was a person, even though her body was not responding. So personhood is not defined by a body. Personhood is defined by intellect, by emotions, by a will, right? And we see all of that by desires, And we see that all in the person of the Holy Spirit. And someone would say, Well, can't we just say that the Holy Spirit is a move of God or the essence of God? Why why is the Holy Spirit a person? It says, Yes, we can say that it's the essence of God, but the Holy Spirit is also a person because it's a witness of Scripture, just like Jesus. The issue is, is that we see Jesus as a person because we knew him in the flesh. We know about him in the flesh. And so it's easy for us to see Jesus as person, but before Jesus became flesh, the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? And God created the world through His spoken Word. So Jesus is the Word of God spoken. The Holy Spirit is the breath of God, right? And yes, they're one in essence, but they're also distinct, distinct in person. And some would say, well, that's complicated. Yes, because God is beyond our understanding, because God is one, triune God, inseparable, yet distinct. A good biblical student or a good biblical preacher will not tell you that he comprehends or grasps all that God is, because God is infinite in his wisdom and in his ways. A good biblical student will say, God is greater than I am, and I yield to his direction and I yield to his command, and I yield to his word. His ways are higher than our ways. Do you recognize that today? Sure is. So today as we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, it's important that you and I are alert, that we are able to understand, that we are able to perceive how the Holy Spirit is working in our lives so that we would yield to the command of our God. Before we dive into this, I want you to know that I'm focusing solely on the, script, on, on the words that Jesus spoke in regards to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, selections in John 14 and 15 and 16. And um, as I start there, I'd like, like to ask you a quick question. Have you ever had anyone tell you devastating news that drastically changed your hope for the future and made you wonder if you made the right decision or the right investment? You ever been in a place where somebody gave you some news that just really altered the way you looked at the future? Maybe, or, or just kind of took, took your hope, just punched you so hard that, uh, you know, emotionally, or you took it so hard that it just really took your hope for the future. And it could just be simple things, you know, small things that just, it's, just, it's the end of it all. You know, like you're making it Week after week, month after month, you're about to get out of debt. All of a sudden, you take your car into, to get an oil change, and the mechanic says to you, oh, you don't, you don't only need an oil change. You need a new transmission, and, right? And you're back in the same hole. Or maybe you filled out for financial aid, and you're going to school, and for some reason, uh, you've been declined to receive any financial help. All of a sudden, you're wondering, where am I, I going to go from here? Maybe you're an athlete, and you were planning on a career in college to play basketball or football or to wrestle, and, and you got injured, and it just changed the trajectory of, of your future. You didn't know how to go from there. Maybe you made some investments. Uh, maybe you invested in homes in 2007. Somebody told you that a home is the best investment because it never loses its value until the recession hit in 2008, Right? And you're wondering, what's going to happen with my retirement? Right? So that's a big deal. Maybe you're at home and you notice on the pregnancy test strip that the pink line showed up. Now you're trying to figure out, how are you going to do life with a child? Maybe someone that you were ready to get married to says to you, uh, my heart is not in this relationship anymore. And that future has been taken from you or that future that you thought you had is no longer there. Or maybe the doctor has just given you some news that you were not ready for that affects your family, and now you got to change the plans that you have for the future. Each and every one of us receive news that alter the way we see the future. Jesus, in this portion of Scripture, had just given the disciples some life-altering news. You see, they had a vision and a picture of what their relationship and what they following Jesus looked like. And Jesus just messed that picture up. Jesus looked at the disciples and he said to them in John 14, guys, i got to tell you something. Where I am going, you also cannot come with me. Not yet. I want you to think about how they must have felt. you got 12 guys who gave up their lives, who gave up their profession, who gave up their position, who gave up their reputation, who gave up absolutely everything that defined them in in order to follow Jesus. And they envisioned a kingdom on earth where Jesus was king. And they envisioned that they would rule with Jesus because they followed Jesus. And they envisioned this reality where Rome was going to be overthrown and they would have authority and and, and so forth. And Jesus says to them, boys, where I am going, you cannot come with me. Imagine the emotion that they felt as they try to interpret that reality. Now, they were there with Jesus when Jesus was dealing with the Pharisees. It's oftentimes the Pharisees tried to arrest Jesus. There is a portion in Scripture where the Bible says Jesus addressed the Pharisees and those rulers and those authorities, and he says, I'm leaving in a little while, and where I'm going, you cannot come. And the disciples, you can imagine, were right there next to Jesus thinking, that's right, you cannot come because you've rejected him, but we've received him. We're going to go with him wherever he goes. Except this moment where Jesus says, where I am going, You cannot come with me, not right now. What do I do now? Where do I go from here? And Peter says, Jesus, Lord, why not? You know that I'm willing to go with you even unto the death. And Jesus gives him even worse news. Peter, not only are you not able to go with me right now, you'll go with me later, you can't go with me right now. Not only are you not going to go with me right now, but you're also going to deny me three times. Can you imagine what that news must have been like for the disciples? It was in that moment. It was in that agony. It was within the presentation of that news that Jesus then begins to talk to the disciples about the person of the Holy Spirit. Now that you understand that, we see the agony that the disciples must have been in as they don't know the end from the beginning. I want you to think about how Jesus felt. How do I tell, the deci- how do I tell my loved ones that I'm leaving, but that it's going to be better for them that I leave? How do I tell them that if I leave, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit who will be upon them and I will live through them? They're not going to get it. How do I tell them that if I take away this bicycle, I'm going to give them a Cadillac when they don't know what a Cadillac is? Does that make sense? So here is Jesus, fully God, trying to describe heavenly things to earthly people like you and I who are having a hard time understanding Jesus. I kind of feel like the disciples, most of their walk, were kind of saying to Jesus, yes, uh-huh. And then looking at the disciples, uh-huh, what up, mm-hmm, sure, Right? Because there was a lot that Jesus tried to tell them that they could not receive. And Jesus then ultimately said, there's so much more that I want to tell you. But you cannot bear it right now. But when I leave, the Spirit of truth will reveal these things to you. It is in this context where Jesus begins to present to the disciples the person of the Holy Spirit. We're going to pick up the scripture that reads in John chapter 14. Verse 15 on down, and it reads this way. Jesus speaking. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you And later, right? Notice there, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. John 15, verse 26 on down. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And you will testify also, because you have been with me from the beginning. John chapter 16, verse 4. But these things I have spoken to you, so that when the the hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you no longer see me. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Another translation would say, stands condemned. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Papa, thank you for your word. I pray that you would reveal it to us as we dive into it, that we would operate in it, live in it. Lord, your anointing to declare it and receive it today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we read through that scripture, Jesus gives us ample uh, examples of the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, before we dive into the work of the Holy Spirit, it's interesting to note, Jesus intercedes on our behalf to the Father and asks for the Holy Spirit to be our helper. So it is Jesus who says to his disciples, you will keep, keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father to send you another helper. Let's be honest here. You and I cannot keep the commandments of God. You want to know why we cannot keep the commandments of God? We cannot keep the commandments of God because we're sinful by nature. We don't even desire the things of God. But because of conviction, but because the truth of God's word, and because of the person of the Holy Spirit, we're we're able to line up to His truth and do the things that He commands us to do. Now, we may have a desire to do good things, but if it weren't for the presence of the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't have the strength to do what God's called us to. A car is only a car functionally if it has gas, Ian Thomas says. A lamp is only a lamp functionally if it has oil. And a Christian is only a man and a woman of God when they welcome the Holy Spirit to live in their lives. It is the Holy Spirit of God that empowers us to live according to His Word. It is, His word, it is His Holy Spirit that empowers us to obey His commands. So Jesus said, I will He interceded for the Holy Spirit to be in our lives, and He is our helper. And the word in the Greek there is parakletos, parakletos. And it is translated in multiple ways, an advocate, a counselor, a comforter, and a helper. He is an advocate because He is constantly pleading for us before the Father. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, prays for us in ways that we don't even know how to pray for ourselves. That's good news. Anybody with me? And I want you to know that the way the Holy Spirit prays for you is not this way, by the way. if you can somehow bless Tony, if you can somehow bless Joe, now the Holy Spirit intercedes with deep groaning, the Bible says. Groans in intercession for us. He's our advocate. He is a counselor. And what does a counselor do? What does a good counselor do? Let's talk about it for a little bit. You can talk to me for a moment here. A good counselor will do what? He will listen. Mm. A good counselor has to listen. The Holy Spirit, according to the Word of God, searches the depth of the Spirit of God and can reveal that to us. The Holy Spirit also can search deep within us and know the truth about us. What else do we know about a good counselor? A good counselor should build you up in the sense that they should equip you with what you need to go through life healed. What else do we know about a good counselor? Calms you down. Maybe because he gives you another, he or she gives you another perspective about life. How many of y'all are thankful that the Holy Spirit has another perspective than the one that we have about life? Anything else? Anything else? Guide us. Absolutely. A good counselor guides. He doesn't just give you an advice. Everybody's full of advice. Right? You ever heard advice you didn't want to hear? Okay, just me. You ever hear advice that wasn't necessary? You know, well, you shouldn't do that. Well, thank you, Captain Obvious. I appreciate it. Can you keep that to yourself now? No, the Holy Spirit is a guide. He guides us into the truth. What else? Did I see a in Gives us a revelation. Helps us to practically, you know, walk differently. The Holy Spirit is a counselor. A good counselor will always lead you to the truth. You don't want a counselor who lies to you. And He is the Spirit of truth. And therefore, He counsels us in truth, which means that He gives us revelation that we can apply. And if we're walking in the truth, the Bible says that truth will make us. And if the sun sets us free, we are free. Indeed. I am the way, the truth, and the life, the Lord Jesus Christ says. He is our counselor, and He is our comforter. How is He our comforter? He reassures us that no matter what we go through in life, God is with us no matter what happens in this world Emmanuel God is with us he's not distant he's not angry he's not he's not you know his love is not fickle towards you he's not deceptive he always speaks the truth He always welcomes you. You can pray to him at any time that you seek him because he made it available for you to seek him. That's good news. He's our comforter. He assures us that God is with us. And he is our helper. Again, he enables us to live according to the kingdom of God. Jesus asked the Father for the Holy Spirit to be in us, not just for a moment. Jesus asked that the Holy Spirit would be with us forever. Not in just in times when he moves. Not just on Sunday mornings when we come to church. Not just when we gather together throughout the week. Jesus asked for the presence of the Holy Spirit to be an eternal reality of our lives. You know, there are times where I'm, I just go through things that I'm writing the message or I'm studying. And I have to remind myself to just stop. Because unfortunately, something happens where I take for granted some wonderful truth. Church, let me tell you something. We cannot take for granted the wonderful truth that the person of the Holy Spirit is with us for eternity when we yield to him. That is good news. Is anybody excited about that today? We cannot take for granted the fact that we are not alone. God is with us. Jesus has prayed not that we would have the Holy Spirit for a moment, but that the Holy Spirit would live with us, that we would live in communion with him all the days of our lives. And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. It's the spirit of truth the worldly man cannot see or know. If we go back to John chapter 14 and we read that portion of scripture, it reads this way. If we go back to that slide. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. And why can they not receive him? Because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. What Jesus is telling his disciples is, well, you know the Spirit. Because right now the Holy Spirit is with you. Because the Bible says in John chapter 3 that the Holy Spirit dwelt in Jesus Christ in its fullness. So so the Holy Spirit, he abides with you and will be in you is the promise of the Father. What? Not only that we would walk with the Spirit, but that the Holy Spirit would live in us. Right? It's much better to have the Holy Spirit in communion in us than to just have Jesus with us by himself. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus can only be in one place in body, but through his Holy Spirit, God can be with us all. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that good news? That's good news. Now, Jesus is describing this. He says the world cannot receive him, and there's reason why the world doesn't receive him, because the world does not see him or know him. Why does the world not see him or know him? Because the world is not attentive to the Holy Spirit, the reality of the matter when you look at Barnes and Adam Clark commentary and you go on and on you'll notice uh, that, that we have a reality today there are those people who say I don't believe it unless I see it I don't believe it unless I see it and boy it's a it's a problem to try to approach God that way <coughs> we cannot see God in our carnal eyes and yet we can see him through our spirit If you've been alive and ever felt conviction from God saying you shouldn't go this way, you shouldn't do this, I am who I am. That is the work of God. We may not see him with our eyes, but we see him, we sense him in our spirit. And why is it that some people, the world does not see him? Because the world operates in the ways of the world. The Bible says that the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, that the lust of the eyes are, are things that get in the way of living the kingdom life. And when we give ourselves to these desires and we allow those desires to dominate our lives, we're probably going to say no to the conviction of the Holy Spirit because we'll love sin more than we love the conviction of God. Anybody understand what I'm saying? I don't know about you, but there was a point in my life where sin is what I wanted, not the presence of God. But there was a moment where I had to make a decision. Will I listen or will I oppress the truth? Will I say yes to the conviction that's coming from the Holy Spirit? Or will I walk away from the conviction of the Holy Spirit? The worldly man cannot receive the work of the Spirit because the worldly man doesn't respond to the <laughs> conviction of the Holy Spirit. As we read on, as we read on, <clears throat> excuse me, we're going to pick up here in a, um, the Holy Spirit was in Christ fully, and was with his disciples. The Holy Spirit then, as we recognize the person of the Holy Spirit, alive in his disciples, a gift that Jesus uh, interceded for that we may have, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of multiple things. It is the Holy Spirit that does the convincing. The Holy Spirit was, uh, does the full convincing work in our lives. In other words, conviction... In definition, means to prove something. To prove something to be right or to prove something to be wrong. Conviction is the work of the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can convict. The Holy Spirit can use us, but it is only the Holy Spirit that can bring about conviction. Have you ever had somebody try to bring conviction to you and just made you angry because they were of the wrong nature? they were telling you to dress a certain way or act a certain way. They just didn't say it in the right spirit, and you weren't ready to receive it. If we were honest, they were telling the truth, but we, we just weren't ready to receive it. Anybody ever been there? Okay, right? Why? Because we weren't ready, right? doesn't mean that a person was wrong, uh, uh, but they, they may have not been in tune with what the Holy Spirit was doing. In that moment, it is the Holy Spirit that can bring conviction, that changes. It is the work of of the Holy Spirit that convinces us of the reality of who He is, of sin in our lives, and of judgment. And we're going to close as we look at these three things. Number one, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin. We're going to read I'm going to read that portion of Scripture. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Verse 9. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. I want you to understand very clearly it doesn't say sins, that's not plural says the Holy Spirit will convict of sin. Because the major sin that is dealing with here is described, because they do not believe in me. See, the greatest sin that could ever be committed is unbelief. Unbelief in God. Unbelief in his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus says the Holy Spirit will come to do what? To convict the world of sin Not multiple sins, but sin, because they do not believe in me. You see, if you take care of that sin, everything else will take care of itself. Right? Convict the world of sin, because they do not believe in me. Number two, convict the world of righteousness, because I go away, and you will see me no more. So what does it mean to convict the world of righteousness? It means this, I'm not going to be here. I'm leaving. But when I leave, the Holy Spirit will come, and he will convict the world of righteousness. Number one, that I am who I say that I am. It is the Holy Spirit that convicts us that Jesus is who he says he is. Anybody ever here seen the cross that Jesus hung on? No. Anybody ever seen the empty tomb? Nobody here has seen the empty tomb. Anybody here seen the actual holes in his hands and on his feet and on his side? No, we have not but it is the Holy Spirit that convinces us in our hearts of the reality that Jesus is who he says he is, that he died on the cross, and he rose from the grave. I cannot convince anyone of that. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. Not only does it convince us of the fact that Jesus is who he says he is, it convinces us of righteousness that we receive through the sacrifice of the cross. I mean, that's a complicated thing to understand. Why would God, who is so righteous God, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross as a sinner when he was completely righteous. Why would that happen? Because a righteous God demands a righteous sacrifice. And we are not worthy to offer up a a sacrifice unto God. And God knew this. And because of his great love and desire to redeem us, he sent his son, who was righteous, to die in our place to forgive us of our sins so that now we are convinced by the Holy Spirit that we are righteous, not because of our works, but because of the work of Jesus on the cross. Church, it's good to park here because you and I don't need to be insecure about eternity. We don't need to be insecure about whether God is pleased with us or not. We don't need to be insecure and walking on eggshells wondering if God is angry. The Bible's very clear. If you have repented of your sins, you turn to Jesus Christ and believe in him. Jesus' righteousness is placed on you. And it's not something that you deserve. It's something that God loves you so much that he has given. The Holy Spirit convicts of righteousness. And the Holy Spirit convicts of judgment. The Holy Spirit convicts of judgment because I stand condemned? No. Does the Holy Spirit convict of judgment because you stand condemned? No. Does the Holy Spirit convict of judgment because the world stands condemned? No. The Holy Spirit convicts of judgment because the ruler of this world is condemned. He is judged. I don't know about you, but I think that's good news. Anybody with me? I'm going to read John chapter 12 as we bring this to a close today. It reads this way. Let me see where I'm Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples for the trouble that he will face as he goes to the cross. And he says this, Now is my soul troubled, and what will I say? Should I say, Father, save me from this hour, from this trial, from this storm, from this crisis, from this cross, from the stripes that will lash my back, from the nails that will pierce my hands, from the, the slaps on my face, them pulling my beard or the, the thorn, the, the crown of thorns that will put on, be placed on my forehead? Would I pray, save me from this hour? No, because for this purpose I've come to this hour. I want you to think about this. For that purpose, the Lord Jesus had come to save you, to redeem you. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, God speaking, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. In other words, I already knew where I stood with the Father. The reason why you needed to hear this voice, for your sake, not mine. And then he says, verse 31, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. What is Jesus saying in that complicated portion of Scripture? He's saying this. What should I say? What do you guys want me to do? Do you think that I've come so far so that I can say to God, you know what, God, I am gonna <laughs> don't want to be a part of this process. You know what, Father, I want to bail out. Maybe you have another way. I'm not excited about nails on my hands and on my feet and the piercing of my side and lashes over and over again on my back. I'm not excited about, excited about my lungs collapsing at the cross and my tongue sticking to the roof of my mouth of dire thirst. I'm not excited about thrusting my body up so that I can get a breath in and then letting my body go down so that I can exhale. I'm not excited about the pain that I will go through. I'm not excited about being in such deep distress that I'm actually going to sweat blood out of my pores. But am I going to bail out now? No. Because now, when I go to that cross, I go to that suffering, the very moment that I yield myself to that, the kingdom of darkness will loose. And I will have victory. He will stand condemned. And there will be freedom. The Holy Spirit convicts us of what? That the ruler of this world is condemned. Now some people struggle with this. Are we saying that the devil is the ruler of this world? Very clearly, the devil is always under the authority of God. There is nothing that goes off of the authority of God. Even even wickedness itself has to submit to the reality of who God is. Nonetheless, you and I have been given dominion and authority. When we have abused it, we gave up our responsibility, we gave up our authority, and the enemy was given authority. We have given our authority to the enemy. That's why the Bible says that those who are outside of Jesus are children of disobedience, right? We're led away by the sin sickness. But when Jesus died on the cross, right, when he redeemed us from ourselves he redeemed us from the dominion of darkness and we have victory in him isn't that good news today amen would you stand with me today amen when the holy spirit comes jesus says this is what the holy spirit is going to do and we're going to dive into it 2 weeks from now we're going to continue to dive into this he's going to convict the world of sin of their lack of belief in me. He's going to convict the world of righteousness. He's going to convict the world that I am who I say that I am and that my cross and my sacrifice and my resurrection are true. And he's going to convict the world of the fact that the ruler of this world is judged, that he is condemned, and there's freedom in me. Let's pray. The ushers help me with this pulpit. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord God that you're not far away. We thank you that you make yourself known to us. We thank you for your great love for us that we do not deserve. We do not deserve it. But you love us. And you show us grace. that's unexplainable. Grace that's unbelievable. Grace that's overwhelming grace that's life transforming, revolutionary grace. Today we thank you for your Holy Spirit that convicts us of, the f- of unbelief, convicts us of the fact that you are who you say you are, and convicts us of the fact that the enemy is defeated and that you've overcome. As we're praying here today, I'd like to make an invitation. Today you're standing here and you're saying, I'm convicted of the truth that Jesus is who he says he is. Today I realize that I've lived in unbelief in the Lord Jesus Christ. That right now he's calling me to commit my life to him, to yield my life to him to yield my future to Him. Today, I want to take that step of faith because I believe that the Holy Spirit's working in my life and He's leading me right now at this moment to respond to Him. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today, you're saying, I want to make a commitment to follow Jesus, to raise your hand right where you're at. You can put your hands back down. Lord, you saw those who have raised their hands before you. They said, Lord Jesus, I receive you into my life. I believe that you are who you say you are. Lord, they say they want to walk closely with you, they want to obey your commands, they want to follow after you. I thank you for your grace that has reached them. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that has convicted them. And I thank you. Lord God, that right now, because of your grace, those who believe in you and turn to you are forgiven of their sins. I thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that washes us of our sins, that cleanses us, Father God, from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet, spiritually speaking, that we no longer have to carry shame and guilt anymore because we're forgiven in you. And I thank you that you open up the Lamb's book of life and there you write our names. And we know, God, that we, are, we have life and life eternal in you. Thank you for salvation in this house. Thank you for the surrender in this house. Thank you, God, for moving in this place. You're a good God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to make a couple more uh, invitations. There, there seems to me to be a culture of people who um, just kind of walk around very defeated, just feeling like they don't have the victory in life. They're just threatening water. They're just trying to make it. And I just want you to know something. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't have to live like that. You don't have to live underwater feeling like you're never going to make it. The Bible says that you already have the victory in Jesus Christ. You got to take that, you got to believe that, and you got to walk in it. And the Holy Spirit, your counselor, will teach you how to receive that victory. More so, I believe today there are people here who are oppressed. They just feel like the enemy is victorious over their lives. And they walk under a cloud of darkness because they feel like the enemy has the upper hand in their lives. I want you to know something that is a lie from the devil. You don't have to walk under that cloud of darkness. Bible says the Holy Spirit convicts us of what truth? That the enemy is defeated. And if the enemy is defeated, he's defeated in your life. He is defeated in your life. But you have to make a decision to walk in that reality and receive that truth. And if you're here today and you're saying, you know what, I no longer will allow myself to believe that the enemy is over me. I believe that the Lord Jesus has defeated him and that I have the victory. Today, If you make that declaration and you want to live out of that reality, would you come up to the altar right now? Would you come up to the altar right now? Just right now you're saying, I no longer want to live with this perspective as if the enemy has the upper hand in my life. He does not. Jesus has overcome. He has overcome. And because he's overcome, if you believe in him, you're more than a conqueror. There's peace. There's joy. There's rest. Hallelujah. Today, you have the victory in Him, if you believe. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Well, maybe you're here today. The last thing that I want to uh, invite you to. You're here today, and you realize, you know, you're doing Christianity without really the presence of God feel like you're just going through the motions with God being distant, not necessarily sensing God as you read the word or sensing God as you come to church or sensing God as you pray, just feeling distant from the Lord. I believe that God wants to be Emmanuel in your life. That means God with us. And if you're here today, there's a distance there between you and God, and you need prayer, we'd like to welcome you to come to the altar. we love to pray with you and partner with you. Believe that God will speak to you right where you're at. So if that's you, would you come to the altar right now and let's pray. And I'd like to welcome at this time the altar workers. If, if they would come up and help me pray with these uh, people who are here at the altar, if you would uh, come up at this time. Hallelujah. And we're going to pray for each and every one of you today. Hallelujah. And church, let me pray with you. If you feel free to do so, if you could raise your hand, let me pray with you. May the love of God the Father, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, may the real communion of His Holy Spirit be with you. May His presence bring conviction of any unbelief in your life. May His presence convict you of the truth that He is who He says He is. And may His presence give you the confidence of walking in one who has victory because Jesus has given you the victory. Take courage. Yes, you will have trouble in this world, but take courage. Jesus has overcome this world. May the Lord allow you to walk as who you are more than a conqueror. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. God bless you, friends. God bless you, church. Thank you for being with us today. The altars are open if you need prayer.